You're listening to the Midwest Marketing Orange Hour Podcast with your host, Brett Matice. All righty. What is, you have a, a tough last name. What's the worst pronunciation you've ever heard someone say with the last name? Well, first give people what it actually is and then the worst sure. pronunciation of it. So it's actually Arsenault. Um, it's Acadian French. And uh, the worst pronunciations probably... Um, you may not be old enough to remember them, but I've been called Arsenio, like Arsenio Hall before. Oh, so. yeah, absolutely. So that's probably the worst butchering of my last name. Okay, um, so. Most, most people don't even try to attempt it. I usually have to just spell it. I suppose they kind of started. They go like, Ars, and then, exactly. yeah. So I'm, Matisse is my name, and the worst one I ever had was Matisse. And it's like, ooh, that's bad. <laughs> but I know, I, when I saw your last name, I was like, I know there's people that just don't even try. Yeah, so it, it gets butchered frequently. Yeah, absolutely. So anyway, we'll do quick introductions before we get into the thick of things here. Um, tell everyone uh, who you are, what you do, kind of where you come from, your background. Sure. So my name is Caleb Arsenault, and I'm the CEO of Live Hospitality uh, here in Rapid City and, and Black Hills. And um, so I, uh, I have the pleasure of running a, a mid-sized hospitality company here uh, in western South Dakota. A um, little bit of background about me. I've, I've just grown up in the hospitality business. You know, uh, uh, I went to school to be a physical education teacher and the world's greatest coach. And uh, I just found coaching in a different way, you know. Uh, running business. And so um, I've done just about every job in the hospitality industry you can think of, with the exception of, of dealing blackjack. I've, I've never been a, a table games dealer before, but I've done everything else. To me, the table games dealer seems very, like, I can't, the how fast they do math yeah. to just be like, doom, doom, boom. I mean, very, almost difficult. Yeah. People think, you know, it's as easy as just counting to 21, right? But it's, uh, it's a little more than that. Exactly. And the dealing too. I mean, Ideal, you know, you play cards with your grandma sure. or something, and you, you shuffle cards. The whole shuffling setup is very different and very calculated too, yeah. from what I've noticed. And when I lose money, dexterity uh, is critical. Yeah, doubt. absolutely. So, um, it's my understanding that you were in the Pacific Northwest for a little bit. Is there anything different about the Pacific Northwest and their hospitality industry than you're seeing in Western South Dakota? Sure. Yeah, I'm. I'm um, from northern Idaho, uh, went to college in Spokane, Washington. So, um, you know, spent actually most of my life in the Pacific Northwest. You know, the difference between the two areas is actually very similar uh, in terms of the hospitality industry. You know, I think um, here in the Midwest, we might be a little more folksy, if you will, um, a little less pretentious, which uh, I think is very endearing. Um, so, you know, there's subtle dif differences, but much the same. Okay, for sure. So Northern, I like Coeur d'Alene. I know that's like the big city that everyone right. probably says, but you are from Coeur d'Alene. Yeah, I, I actually lived in Coeur d'Alene. My hometown is Bonners Ferry, Idaho, which is about an hour north of Coeur d'Alene, about 30 minutes from the Canadian border. Okay, really, really cool. Um, is Northern, is Panhandle, Idaho, is that considered Pacific Northwest? Do they consider themselves or do they like to separate themselves into? You know, um, it depends on who you talk to. Um, I, I consider it the Pacific Northwest. Um, so some some people probably don't, but okay. I certainly do. For sure. So with that, obviously, uh, the Pacific Northwest gets a ton of rain. Does that affect the hospitality industry in a way where people are like, I'm not going to go camping and I'm going to stay in a hotel or a resort because I don't want to get rained on while I'm out in a tent? Yeah, you know, by the time, you know, Seattle area gets all the rain uh, on the coast and, and 
you know, by the time it reaches the Cascade Mountains in, in northern Idaho, we, we generally don't get a lot of rain. Um, it can be wet and, and quite a bit of snow during uh, the winters. So in terms of affecting hospitality, it really doesn't. The great outdoors, it's, it's all about the great outdoors, much like the Black Hills. Yeah, absolutely. Can you touch on, for people who aren't from the area, some of the things that make the Black Hills a really unique kind of island of hospitality um, in, amongst the prairie that surround us, surrounds sure. us? You know, my wife and I were actually just talking about this. We've, we've lived here 12 years, and uh, there are sites that we have not visited in the 12 years that we've lived here. There's so much to see and, and do here in the Black Hills. You know, the fact that we have, you know, eight national state parks uh, within a short driving distance of our location is pretty unique in the country. Um, so, you know, I just think anything the great outdoors, experiencing the hills, you know, the, the, the biking, the climbing, the hiking, fishing, any outdoor activity, I mean, it, it is truly a jewel. Um, uh, it's a little little island paradise here, uh, I like to consider it. So, you know, the Black Hills is uh, is very unique. And, and frankly, it's it's much like uh, northern Idaho or eastern Washington, that, that area that I came from, um, in that, you know, the mountains and streams and lakes and um, all, the, all the great outdoor activities, um, the hills are just a little smaller than the mountains. That's the only difference. Yeah, exactly. Um, me and Todd, a graphic designer who works here, we were discussing, like, what's the most underappreciated, underutilized, like, natural thing in the Black Hills? And we were talking, we were trying to come up with one. I think the caves, I feel like, get they don't get the press that, uh, you know, maybe Custer State Park, which, is, of course, is deserving, and Needles Highway and some of that really cool stuff. Like, we have the third longest cave in the world with Dual Cave, and it just seems like, there's so much other cool stuff, like you said, that it almost falls by the wayside. You know, as soon as you made the statement, my head went to caves. There's yeah. no doubt about it. And actually, my son is a, a tour guide at Rushmore Cave. Oh, um, really? And, of course, we went and had his tour. Um, and it's probably something I maybe wouldn't have done otherwise, but, man, am I glad I did. It's, an, it's absolutely incredible. So I would agree. I think the undiscovered... Uh, hidden gems around here are the caves. It's it's quite remarkable. Yep, I, I'm totally on board. Um, one cool thing and just a really interesting thing, I'm from Minnesota originally, which maybe you can tell by the slight accent, um, but most gaming places in Minnesota are on Indian reservations, Native American reservations. Deadwood, it has legalized gambling, which is obviously very unique to that area and because of the history of it. Is the history of it really because like, did that cause it to become, you know, later on a legalized gambling place in the United States? Or was there something more to that? Do you know? You know, um, actually, I started um, my career. I actually didn't start my career, but I worked in, in Native American gaming for a number of years, uh, about eight years. And um, so I'm very familiar with the tribal uh, gaming side of things in the country. And, you know, Deadwood is unique in that it was the second jurisdiction behind the state of Nevada to actually have legalized commercial gaming. And it was really born out of an effort to save the town. Um, you know, Deadwood had crumbling infrastructure and the town was, was struggling. Um, and a, a group of very um, driven and uh, very bright people decided to put together the You Bet Committee and uh, work with the state to, and the citizens of South Dakota to to get legalized gaming passed. So, and it really saved the town. You know, it brought the town from ruins to, to what you see today. And there's no question 
um, that history is the, anch- the anchor to Deadwood. Uh, people come because of the history of Deadwood. They want to see you know, Wild Bill Hickok's grave, and they want to see the main street. They want to they see you know, all of the, the lore and the Western uh, um, stories that, that are there. So there's no doubt that history certainly is the anchor. Um, and, and gaming obviously pays to, to maintain that history through historic preservation. Yeah, totally. I mean, they made a whole TV show about it and a, a movie to boot as well. So, exactly. Um, yeah, it's a really cool spot. I think uh, for people who have never been there, you have the historic Main Street on Deadwood, uh, in Deadwood, and you have the old, you know, Saloon Number Tens, uh, Silverado Franklin, all those kind of old ones. And then there's also kind of a new resurgence as well, maybe off that Main Street and even kind of on Main Street as well, while also preserving the integrity of the history. Can you talk about kind of how that give and take works as sure. I know you guys are, are in Deadwood pretty heavily? Sure. Yeah, we've, we've actually uh, done quite a bit of development in Deadwood and, you know, working with historic preservation in the city and the citizens of Deadwood, um, you know, ma- just making sure that there's a balance between commercial uh, growth and maintaining the integrity of that historic feel and look in Deadwood. And, and frankly, uh, you know, the Historic Preservation Commission there uh, and the officer, I mean, they do a really good job of governing that. And, and it, you know, and it's tough. Sometimes those efforts, development and historic preservation are at odds. So finding a balance there um, that, that maintains that historic integrity to the town is incredibly important because, again, you know, gaming isn't special anywhere in the country. There's gaming in every state all over the country. Uh, Deadwood is special because of the history and, and because of what we have in terms of the product there. Yeah, absolutely. Very well said. Um, so let's talk a little bit about Live more in depth here. Um, live Hospitality is, is a big umbrella under which a lot of different things sit. Um, for people who know maybe the, the big ones that you guys do, what are kind of everything that you sure. encompass? Um, give us the down and dirty on that. Well, I'll start with Deadwood, and, and we have two gaming resorts in Deadwood and four hotels. So we have 10 Lizzie Gaming Restor- Resort, which is right on Main Street, Deadwood. Um, within that gaming resort, we have the Hampton Inn uh, Hotel. So um, we, we love our resort. It's right on, on historic Main Street there. It's, it's so convenient, um, you know, great frontage. And, and uh, what's unique about our facility there is, is the parking. You know, it's really hard to find parking. Yes, absolutely. On, it is. on Main Street, Deadwood, <laughs> and we have parking available. So, um, so, so we have 10 Lizzie Gaming Resort, and then we have Cadillac Jacks Gaming Resort, which is um, just a little further north, not on Main Street. And uh, it, it's a little bit larger facility. We have three hotels there. Uh, we have the True by Hilton, the Spring Hill Suites by Marriott, and the Double Tree by Hilton, as well as the gaming. We have a massive underground parking garage there with 130 parking stalls. So again, lots of convenient parking for guests, which can be a challenge in Deadwood. Um, the city has done a good job of, of trying to create pub- more public parking with the Welcome Center and such. So um, so we're very proud of both our, our resorts up there. Um, in Rapid City, um, we have the historic Alex Johnson downtown. Uh, the hotel was built in 1928. Um, we've done several renovations on the hotel, and it, it's... Uh, it's an absolute jewel. It's a landmark. Um, you know, we, we're, we're very proud of, of the team there. And, you know, our shareholders and, and ownership group are uh, some of the most amazing people uh, to do business with and to know. They, they're, they're amazing people, and they invest in their product. You know, um, many of us in the hospitality industry 
don't always have that luxury. So the fact that we get to to work with amazing product that that continues to be refreshed is is truly a blessing for all of our team. And um, so we have the historic Alex Johnson. We also before you go on, I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt go ahead. you, but thoughts on um, the hauntedness of the Alex Johnson. I thought we were going to talk. We we're going to talk about yes, that. That's I'm why. Sorry. That's I why know. I was trying to yeah. skip. I don't. I don't <laughs> like ghosts. No, I'm. I'm kidding. We. Um, so we actually have a book at the front desk um, where guests have actually written some of their stories about their experiences in the hotel. And um, uh, if you ever stay there, I would encourage you to take a look at it because it's 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 quite remarkable some of the unexplained happenings that have have occurred. Um, I've spent a lot of time in the hotel personally, and I got to tell you, I've never had an experience, but many many people have. Um, there are stories about the, uh, the ghost of Alex Johnson himself there. Um, Alex Johnson's um, child actually died of polio in the hotel. So there's, you know, stories of a, a child running the halls giggling. Uh, a bride actually uh, committed suicide at the hotel. And there's, there's stories of seeing uh, a bride in a wedding gown floating around the halls. And so th- there's lots of, uh, we actually had uh, um, ghost hunters come in and do a story on the hotel and, you know, of course, they they do all the checks and the using the, the different meters and things. They actually had a ghost sniffing dog that they brought on the oh, show. Oh, really? And uh, I, I guess uh, I don't know how you train a ghost sniffing dog, but in any case, they found a few things that that they thought was paranormal paranormal activity. So, um, par, you know, part of that lore and, and the history of the Alex Johnson is certainly the hauntings. Yeah, that's well. That even goes beyond what I thought. I thought it was tied to a room, but it sounds like it's yeah. it's a little more maybe it depending it, on yeah the person, like you said. Yeah, there, there's there's a lot to it. Um, th- there are two rooms that are apparently haunted, and I've been in both. And again, I've never experienced it. But room eight twelve and room three or four are the two. So if you're if you're searching out a paranormal experience, I I try those two rooms out. Interesting. Very cool. All right, I'll let you continue with your sure. <laughs> Um, so we also have, um, part of our portfolio is Watiki Indoor Water Park Resort out at exit 61 on the east side of town. And, um, you know, we have, uh, currently four amazing hotels there that are connected to a 30,000 square foot indoor water park. Uh, we also have Sliders Bar and Grill, our on-site restaurant there. We have the La Quinta Inn and Suites. Um, we have the Fairfield Inn and Suites, the Residence Inn by Marriott and the Home Two. Um. We are getting ready to actually open our fifth hotel out there, which is the Courtyard by Marriott, and that is slated to open the end of June of this year. So we're just gearing up to get that that facility opened. We also have the American Lodge and Suites at Exit 59 and the Country Inn and Suites at Exit 59. So right now we have 11 hotels. The 12th is getting ready to open. Um, We've also broke ground on our 13th hotel in Deadwood, so at 10 Lizzie Gaming Resort, we're actually adding a hotel. It'll be a four points by Sheraton, and that is slated to open in April of 2021. Okay, very cool. And I know you can't brag about yourself too much, but I will brag for you. <laughs> um, I'm sure you guys get sick of being compared to Vegas a little bit, um, but the Cadillac Jack's experience is, I mean, you said it's, it's a, I think you use words like good size, you know. It's a really, really impressive place, and um, when you walk in, it, it does feel almost Vegas-esque, even if you don't like that exact terminology. Yeah. But it's, it's, a, it's a very cool spot, and it's a very cool experience. Thank you very much. Yeah, you know, I, I don't mind the word Vegas-esque. I, I think gaming is quintessential Vegas at its core. So, 
you know, we wanted to, to balance a contemporary Vegas-type feel with the historic, you know, ambiance of Deadwood. And I think we've struck a pretty good balance there that, that works for, for most people. Yeah, absolutely. I'd say so. So you touched on um, some renovations and some new stuff that you got going on and groundbreakings. Since you started um, with Livin' about 2008, there has been a lot of changes, I'm sure. What are some of the big changes that people have noticed? You know, um, we've more than doubled in size uh, as a company and, and the number of properties since 2008. So I've, I've been very fortunate to be part of a, an amazing team that has worked their tail off, um, worked very hard to, to get many, many additional properties open. So, you know, the expansion of Cadillac Jacks in 2002, Cadillac Jacks was built with just kind of the one main hotel um, with, with about 180 gaming devices. And since then, we've, we've expanded to 250 gaming devices and three hotels. Um, we've also um, expanded Tin Lizzie Gaming Resort. So uh, Tin Lizzie used to be a very small casino right on Main Street there. We, we acquired the neighboring casino, connected the buildings, and now we have a much larger gaming resort rather than a, just the casino. So we have the hotel. We have the full service there. Um, you know, we've, we've since added two more hotels out to Watiki, uh, the home two and, and uh, residence in. Our third hotel out there is getting ready to, to open. Um, so that's been a, a fun endeavor, a lot of work. And um, so just the explosive growth um, we've experienced has, has just been such a blessing to be a part of. And, you know, uh, I would be remiss if I didn't mention, you know, as a company, when you're growing so quickly and aggressively, it's a lot of work and it's very taxing and um, our team has boundless energy it's amazing to watch them work and um, what they bring to the table every day uh, they're all winners and, and they, they work their tails off to to make things work for us absolutely um, so obviously you talked about you got a lot of properties and a lot of stuff to oversee and the hospitality industry is uh, employee heavy you need a lot of employees to work how do you go about staffing all of the people, both on kind of the front end of things and, you know, everywhere else throughout the organization. Sure. You know, um, we're obviously living in uncommon times now with this, with this pandemic, but, you know, previous to that, if you wanted three jobs in Rapid City or Deadwood, you could certainly have them. Um, you know, it was less than 3% unemployment and, um, it, it was, probably singularly one of the most competitive labor markets in the entire country. Um, and obviously the tourism and hospitality industry takes a lot of labor and staff. Um, we're working with people, you know, we, we need people serving people. And, you know, we do a lot of things um, much better now. I think we've grown as a company to try to, to help attract and retain talent in our company. We put a, a massive emphasis on talent you know we can have the most beautiful buildings in the world but if we don't have the heartbeat and our team there um, we might as well close the doors because they won't work so um, you know I guess that's a little bit of my coaching side of things that I, I had aspirations to go to go into coming out and, and just recruiting training mentoring and, and making sure people are set up to succeed so um, we try to be an attractive cool place to work you know, we do we do an employee orientation that's probably a little bit atypical to what most people are are used to. Um, it's high energy, and, and we take a little different approach. And it's just um, we, we want to be unique. We want to be different. We want to be a disruptor in, in the market. And so we look for people that have those same philosophies and qualities. Um, you know, additionally, because we we're such a seasonal 
industry. We bring in guest workers um, each year, and that's anywhere between 50 and 100. Um, and, you know, during our peak season, they're, they're helping us get rooms clean and serving guests in the restaurant and washing dishes and doing all the jobs that kind of go unnoticed. You know, uh, things just kind of click. But, but those back, uh, back of house people are, are so important to our operation. So that's kind of how we approach the, the labor side of things. Yeah, so if you go to any tourism-centered, you know, place, if you go to Yellowstone, Wyoming, or Glacier, um, anywhere out, you know, Yosemite, you're going to see a lot of people, like you said, guest workers from, from all different backgrounds. What does that process look like? Do they fill out, a, like, an application of sorts and say, I would like to come to the Black Hills, or do they say, I'd like to go here or there? Or kind of how does that work for people? Sure. Well, we, we actually work with a, a recruiting agency um, that works with the Department of State and then the embassies, U.S. embassies in those countries that we recruit from. And um, so that process, that agency helps us kind of identify an interview. Uh, it's generally students. Um, um, and then they, they help coordinate that. Now, we facilitate housing. We facilitate getting them here, getting paperwork done, getting getting them acclimated to a new culture. Um, we do cultural excursions and kind of introduce them to the Black Hills and a little bit of America. And um, so it, it's a very re- rewarding process from, from that standpoint as well um, to see these kids come in, work really hard, and get a great cultural experience. I think that's super important to, like you said, go and show them the culture that is the Black Hills and show them around that way. I mean, they have the, the background knowledge to be like, oh, yeah. If someone asks, hey, what would you do? It's like, I would go drive Needles Highway or Iron Mountain Road because they're really cool and I've seen them myself. So I think that's a really, really important thing. It is. So um, obviously you mentioned just a little bit earlier, we'd be totally uh, out of line not to mention COVID-19 and talk about the impact that might have on tourism and the hospitality industry. Are you expecting a big shift from maybe last year with this pandemic or is it going to maybe not affect us as much? You know, I think different areas of the country will be uh, affected more than others. But at the end of the day, it's going to be a significant impact across the entire country, especially for the tourism industry. You know, um, when, when there are shelter-in-place orders and, and uh, quarantining efforts and, and social distancing efforts, all of those things directly influence travel. And um, so obviously we're very concerned. And, you know, our team is working very hard in uh, ensuring a safe environment for guests when they do feel comfortable to start traveling again. And I think it's all going to be dictated by consumer confidence. I think it's going to be dictated by therapies for the, for the virus and, and ultimately by a vaccine. Um, when people feel safe, I think they're going to travel again. And I think, I think we're going to see some pent-up demand, um, you know, I think all of us are getting a little bit of cabin fever as we sit around our homes and, um, you know, ponder what we might be doing and where we might be going. So I think the wanderlust will kick in, and I think there's going to be a lot of pent-up demand for people to get out and travel. So we want to be there to help serve those people when they're ready. Yeah, I totally agree on the pent-up side of things, absolutely. I know my parents have been sheltered in home for about a month now, and they're both ready to get out and move around a little bit. You talked about, you know, ensuring a safe environment for potential guests this summer. Um, what are some of the ways that you guys are going about that maybe that are unique to you guys? You know, we're fortunate. We, we franchise with um, world-class organizations like Hilton and Marriott, who um, obviously are 
very sensitive and on top of these types of things, doing a lot of research and development as to the most effective ways and what to use to, to, to create um, uh, you know, a, a sterile, disinfected environment for our guests. So um, we have a lot of resources at our fingertips in that regard and training. So we're certainly leveraging that. You know, um, In a casino environment, that's a little bit more unique because you have cards and chips and you know you're touching a slot machine and so you know um, we're actually going to implement a uh, uv wand so ultraviolet light um, to help sanitize surfaces and um, i think it'll probably look like a scene out of star wars with lightsabers a little bit. <laughs> um, so we're going to be wanding slot machines and cards and and chips and tokens and things um, frequently just to again, create that perception of cleanliness and actually execute the disinfection. I would say that's very unique to your industry. Obviously, we do a lot of these podcasts, and I've talked to a lot of people about that, and that's the first time I've heard of the UV wand, and especially just like you said, with a, a place where you have people are touching slot machines, and um, a lot of people bounce around from slot machine to slot machine, and you don't, so that is probably a lot more effective and, and easier um, than maybe a traditional method or, you know, what you guys have done in the past too. It is, it is. And, and we're actually um, exploring options for our hotel rooms, putting a large lamp, UV lamp in the rooms. You can leave it in for 15 minutes and it'll disinfect and sterilize the entire room. Oh, that's really, really cool. Yeah. Um, is there anything, I was talking to my neighbor and he was, he kind of works in the entertainment, you know, concerts and, and big events like that. And he was talking about uh, it's going to be tough with concerts moving forward as the liability is really high as, you know, you pack 20,000 people into an arena. And I was like, I didn't even think about that. Is there something is like for your industry that maybe someone from the outside like me wouldn't know, but is like you're somewhat concerned about? Sure. You know, I, at the end of the day, I think um, I think fear and panic can be very controlling for people. Um our approach to this is to be very pragmatic and, and be very science-based and very logical. Um, believe what we see, not what we hear. Believe the science behind things. So, you know, I think these large gatherings like you reference, um, obviously for our industry, that's a concern. When, when we have a concert, people come and stay in hotels. So that's, that's you know, a big influence on our business. So um, I think those will return at some point. Again, the game changer will be the therapies and the vaccines and the consumer confidence as this virus becomes, I guess, a little more like the flu than COVID-19. Yeah, absolutely. I think pragmatic is a good word and a good approach um, to any type of situation like that. So I'm glad you said that. Um, transitioning out of that a little bit, um, like we both talked about, you're from Idaho, I'm from Minnesota. So we're kind of, you know, newbies to the Black Hills. Is there something that you like to do here in the hills in your spare time? Is, is there a family thing that you guys really enjoy to do together um, that is unique to the Black Hills that maybe you didn't do somewhere else? Yeah, you know, I, I don't know if there's anything um, maybe that's unique. The caves are unique. Uh, I do enjoy exploring those once in a while now. But, you know, our our favorite pa family pastime is, is fishing. We love to get out on our boat and be on the water. Um, and, and it's kind of my happy place, a little bit of a escape to recharge the batteries and uh, my kids love to fish my wife loves to fish they generally outfish me so um you know we're we just love being in the outdoors um you know personally i'm i'm also kind of an avid volleyball player i enjoy athletics um, so I, I like to stay active um, i like to work out um you know i think i think 
your health is paramount and in, in maintaining a healthy perspective and a healthy body. Yeah, absolutely. The fishing thing makes me really happy. I'm, I'm an avid fisherman and outdoorsman as well. Do you get into fly fishing at all, or do you more rod and reel? Sure. You know, I'm a bait caster, rod and reel, flipping, casting. I'm a bass fisherman. So uh, in a previous life, I used to actually fish a few bass tournaments. So oh, really? uh, I love bass fishing, which oh, yeah. there's, there's a pretty good bass fishery around here, too. I think that most people don't realize that's the biggest thing that i've realized coming from minnesota where you know walleye is king and, and people like to pan fish for for bluegills and crappies is uh trout is you know the big deal around here but you can find some really good spots even if you don't have a boat and you need to fish from shore you can find some really really good spots to just hammer home some really good stuff that you can put in the fryer i, I agree i agree so um as you've uh, i've been informed by my boss don you're a michigan wolverine fan I am. Which is a bummer for me as a Gophers fan, but I'll get by it. How does someone from Idaho become a, a Wolverine fan? Oh, man. So th- this this might be the strangest uh, story you, you may have ever heard. So I didn't go to the University of Michigan. Um, I, I've been to the campus. I've been to games there. But as a kid, uh, I was in Louisiana at the time. Um, I've always been a football nut all of my life. I, I played football growing up, played football in college, just loved the game. So um, my birthday was coming up. I think it was like my sixth or seventh birthday, and and I wanted a football uniform. And, of course, at that time in Louisiana, I was a New Orleans Saints fan. Um, And my parents went to the store, could not find a New Orleans Saints, you know, football uniform with the helmet and shoulder pads and the whole getup. So what they did find was this winged helmet that – you know, I, uh, I ended up wearing, I think, every day for an entire year. And ever since they bought me that, I have watched Michigan football. And the more I learned about the program and the way they do things, and no disrespect to the Gophers. Yeah, I, um, I understand. You know, the winningest football program. They want to do things right. You know, it's about growing young men and, and not necessarily always winning. And um, although they win quite often, maybe not as of recent. I'm just glad you're not an Ohio State fan. Yeah, oh, I, I goodness, to, no. <laughs> I have to say that. Um, so that's how I became a Michigan Wolverine fan. See, I love stories like that. I have a similar type of one where uh, I'm a basketball guy. I played basketball in college for a little bit, and um, I used to be a Timberwolves fan. You know, that was the era of Kevin Garnett and Sam Cassell, Latrell Sprewell. So, you know, very, sure. very good. And for my seventh or eighth birthday, I got really good tickets. My parents got me really good tickets to Timberwolves game. Um, they were playing the Memphis Grizzlies, and really good game, really close game, right towards the end of the wire, you know, a couple seconds left on the clock. Um, the Wolves are inbounding from the side, and Kevin Garnett sets kind of a back screen. Mark Madsen, who no one ever remembers except for me, he was a number 35, this big, tall post. Um, both guys go with KG. Mark Madsen is wide open for a layup under the basket to win the game, and he could have dunked it, but he just botched it. Oh. Botched the layup, we lose the game. So there I'm devastated, but I'm like, you know what, that happens. But with these tickets, we got an opportunity to meet a player after the game. So all the people who had these tickets are standing around on the floor waiting for the player to come out. And who do they send but Mark Madsen, the guy who lost the game? I said, no, how can you treat an eight-year-old kid like that? So I said, from now on, I'm a Milwaukee Bucks fan. And <laughs> it's, been, it's been a tough road to hold, but now they're, they're doing really well. So That's great. I like the unique sports fandom story. Yeah, you never know where it's going to go, right? Yeah. How do you feel about Harbaugh? Is he good? Is he bad? Is he yeah. mediocre? I don't know. You know, I think Harbaugh's good. Um, 
I think I think Harbaugh's made some strategic mistakes, and you know it's so easy for all of us to armchair quarterback, right? That's very true. So um, you know I think he's the right guy there for now. Um, I think the the pressure will turn up uh, in the next year or two if if things don't turn. Michigan's used to winning. Yeah, and if you're not beating Ohio State, um, you might lose your job there. Yep. So see, that's the thing: the Gophers aren't used to winning. So <laughs> PJ Fleck comes; he comes in, wins a couple games. We're just you know riding high. So uh, you guys have been strong the last yeah, couple of years. Okay. Good we'll team. see how it goes. But uh, anyway, giving back to the community is a big thing that you guys stand on um, and, and do a lot of. Can you talk about some of your things that you do to give back um, to the Black Hills in general, Rapid City, uh, sure. Western South Dakota? You know, we're a small community here, and um, like I said, we, we're we highly volatile season. We, we have a tourist season where people from out of state are coming in, but we don't close our businesses. We are open year-round, and our community sport supports us all year long, and um, they support us in so many ways. So it's really important to us that we give back a little bit, and, you know, we've created an event out at um, Watiki. Uh, called Live to Give, and once a year, we choose a Saturday, um, you know, usually in the spring, where 100% of the gross revenue, so we eat all of the expenses and we cover, you know, all of any expense associated with it, but 100% of every room that's rented, every burger that's, that's sold, every water park admission that's sold, we actually donate to local charities here in the Black Hills um, that support ki- kids' programs. And um, that's really important for us to do, and, and we're well over a half a million dollars. The program's been going about nine or ten years. Yeah, so That's awesome. It's, uh, you know, it feels really good to do that, and, and again, it's amazing we have a, an ownership group that, that believes in doing that, and they're, they're very uh, generous. No, that's absolutely awesome. I think it's a common thing to see, which is, is great. Like you said, we're a small community, and there's a lot of support. Um, I'm from a really small town of about 1,000 people, so to me this is a, a large uh, area. Sure. But it's got a small town feel to it. And like you said, everyone seems to really be supportive of each other. And I think that goes to show with exactly what you guys are doing, too. Certainly. So I suppose as we wrap up here, if there's anything that I forgot to touch on or if you want to plug anything that you guys have going on here in the next couple months, um, I'd say it now before we log on off. Sure. You know, I I appreciate the opportunity. Um, You know, I think uh, I guess the last thing I would want to end this with is just I, I think the entire Black Hills has merely scratched the surface in terms of economic development, in terms of growth, in terms of product, in terms of what this community can be. So um, I think the the ceiling's very high. I think everything that's happening with the, you know, uh, the Ellsworth Air Force Base is, you know, certainly exciting, um, you know, and it's, it, it's going to be extremely impactful to the hills here. So um, I know we're going through some tough times right now, but... Uh, Let's make sure we keep our head and our chin up because much, much brighter days are ahead. I agree. Very well said. Well, anyway, thank you for coming on. I appreciate it. And uh, thanks for listening, guys.